0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from WISE, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With WISE, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how WISE could work for you at WISE.com.
1: Today on State of the World, a pivotal election in Taiwan and an inauguration in Guatemala that almost didn't happen. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Tuesday, January 16th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a few minutes, a victory for democracy in Guatemala. But first, in a close and closely watched election in Taiwan last weekend, William Lai of the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, was elected president. This election has important implications for the democratic, self-ruled island's relationship with China, which still claims Taiwan as its own and wants to control it one day, with military force if necessary. NPR's Emily Feng in Taipei spoke to Scott Simon just after William Lai was declared the winner. What's the significance of a Lai victory?
2: Well, this was a clear victory for him. It was a very close one, and he won largely by appealing to this pro-Taiwan, anti-China base of voters. And because he won, that means Taiwan stands towards China and also towards the U.S., which is the island's most important security guarantor will largely stay the same. Now, Lai comes from the political establishment. He's actually currently the vice president. And he's from the DPP, which is this party that's flirted with the idea of formally declaring Taiwan as an independent country. He's also helped Taiwan branch out internationally, building up these diplomatic partnerships, even though most of the world does not formally recognize Taiwan as a nation. And therefore, Beijing has made no secret that it hates Lai. His running mate, Bi Kim Shao, which is uh, Taiwan's next vice president, has already been sanctioned by China. And Beijing has said repeatedly, voting for Lai would be choosing war with China. However, so far, China's been pretty restrained in its rhetoric about the Taiwan elections, and they have no indication they want to escalate tensions at this stage. Uh, Lai from Taiwan spoke to the press, and he committed himself to maintaining the status quo on cross-strait relations while also pursuing dialogue with China. He said he had responsibility to maintain peace in the Taiwan Strait, but he would also use exchanges to replace obstructionism, use dialogue instead of confrontation, and confidently pursue cooperation with China, but he was determined to safeguard Taiwan from threats and intimidation from Beijing.
1: Emily, you mentioned the closeness of the margin. What kind of mandate does Mr. Lai have?
2: He doesn't have a very clear one because Taiwan's system is a first-past-the-post system, meaning you do not need a majority to win as president. And Lai got only about 40% of the popular vote, so that diminishes his authority a bit. His party, the DPP, has just secured a historic third term in the president's office. This has not happened before in Taiwan's admittedly very short democratic history. But the DPP does not have a majority in the legislature anymore. So it's going to have to negotiate with two other opposition parties, which made these big legislative gains And that means gridlock for the next four years. The other two parties could very easily hold up policies that Lai's office proposes on, say, national defense or other budget priorities, introducing delays in policies that Taiwan might not have when it comes to deterring China.
1: Emily, what what can you foresee after Mr. Lai takes office?
2: Well, he's coming into office in a highly divided Taiwanese society. They're divided along lines of identity, whether they feel more Taiwanese or if they still feel culturally Chinese and also divided along perspectives about how to best deter China. But the biggest priority for him is going to still be domestic. You know, the bread and butter issues that voters voted on, like the economy and and housing prices. Familiar probably for most American voters. Also, Lai has a really long lame duck period coming up. He's not going to be sworn in as the new president until late May. So there's a lot that can happen before then. For example, China could, in theory, escalate its intimidation of Taiwan by cutting off more trade with the island, by ramping up its now daily military saber-rattling, which it does by flying its fighter jets and sailing Navy boats around the island. But I also want to end on a more positive note, which is this is only Taiwan's eighth-ever direct presidential election. I watched voting happen. I watched the votes being counted publicly. It was carried out smoothly, transparently, and quickly. People who lost conceded gracefully, vowing to work with Lai. About 75% of people turned out. So you have a very engaged population here who cares about democracy, even if they don't always agree with one another.
1: That was NPR's Emily Feng in Taipei, Taiwan. So as she was saying, a consequential election for international relations and a milestone for a young democracy. Another democracy on the other side of the world also passed a critical test on Monday. Guatemala inaugurated a new president in the early morning hours, though it nearly didn't happen. Despite winning the election by a landslide back in August, anti-corruption campaigner Bernardo Arevalo faced months of attempts to derail his path to the presidency. And those efforts continued right up until the last minute on Sunday. NPR's Eder Peralta takes us through a tense 24 hours for Guatemalan democracy. In Guatemala
0: City, the morning started off hopeful. Big groups of indigenous people came into the city on buses. Across the boulevards, musicians played on stages. And kids carried balloons. An inauguration felt inevitable. But the celebration came to an end, first in Congress. The outgoing Congress chained doors and threw up parliamentary roadblocks to keep the new Congress from taking office. The young, idealistic people who had just won elections forced open the door and began shouting, Respect the popular will! In Guatemala City's main plaza, that video ricocheted across cell phones and indigenous authorities called for a march. The protesters rammed through a security perimeter. Irma de Diegues, a lady in her 60s, stood just behind the crowd, hugging the Guatemalan flag, marvelling at what was happening. We used to be few, she says, but now look, all of Guatemala is here. The Guatemalan-American writer Francisco Goldman calls what's happening in Guatemala a civic miracle. Somehow, the young urban progressives and the rural indigenous communities that make up about half this country formed a coalition and outsmarted a system that had been rigging elections for decades. They made a reformist anti-corruption candidate president. So the focus, says Goldman, has been on Bernardo Arevalo. But he says, look at the streets. The most hopeful thing in Guatemala is not Arevalo per se. The most hopeful thing in Guatemala is the democratic awakening that brought him there. Maybe it was the street protests, maybe it was a statement calling for a transition from the dignitaries who had waited for hours, but the congressional roadblocks melted away suddenly at around 10 p.m. And as the firecrackers exploded in the middle of the street, I think Juárez, an indigenous leader who's been jailed by the government for his activism, walked through the smoke with a smile on his face. For 200 years, he says, this country has tried to destroy his people. And it's about denying us hoy, any action, yeah, any credit. But today, no he says, they couldn't do it. Juarez, who was once feared as a guerrilla fighter in the city, walked through a mostly mestizo crowd, and a lady holding flowers told him without the indigenous people, Arevalo would not be taking the oath of office right now. Rigoberto Juarez said, Prepare for a long fight. If today was possible, imagine, he said, what tomorrow will bring. NPR news Guatemala City
1: that's the state of the world from NPR thanks for listening we'll see you again soon
0: There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR, where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.
2: Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.